0: Welcome to this PLUS podcast, In the Boardroom with Resnick and Fuller. As a reminder, the information and opinions expressed by our speakers today are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of their employers or of PLUS. The contents of these materials may not be relied upon as legal advice. In today's episode, Stephanie and John discuss the broad topic of banks and banking and how corporate boards and officers should think about their banking options in light of the recent collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and fears of the potential for similar collapses. They are joined by Chris Pippett, a Fox Rothschild partner who chairs the firm's financial services industry practice group and frequently advises banks and other financial institutions on corporate governance issues. This wide-ranging discussion will touch on best practices for companies and boards, including knowing your bank and its position, diversifying banking relationships, the components of conducting due diligence, and how to think about risk management as it applies to a company's banking choices. Stephanie Resnick is a partner at Fox Rothschild, a national law firm, and is co-chair of the firm's Directors and Officers Liability and Corporate Governance Practice Group. For 14 years, Stephanie has been ranked by Chambers USA as a leading litigator in Pennsylvania. She is known for taking the lead in high stakes, bet the company litigation, and defending corporate boards and officers in complex and protracted litigation. Stephanie is a former managing partner of Fox's Philadelphia office and a past chair of its nationwide litigation department. John Cornell Fuller is also a partner at Fox Rothschild and is the other co-chair of the firm's directors and officers liability and corporate governance practice group. John has extensive experience defending, experience defending the directors and officers of public and private corporations in claims stemming from the discharge of their duties and management decisions. Since 2015, Stephanie and John have been co-authoring articles on topics of interest to corporate boards and directors for a variety of publications, including Corporate Compliance Insights, the Legal Intelligencer, and the Wiley Board Leadership Journal. Christopher Pippitt is also a partner at Fox Rothschild and is chair of its financial services industry practice chris advises financial institutions including local and regional banks credit unions and mortgage lenders on regulatory lending and workout issues he frequently guides financial institutions through corporate governance issues i'll now turn it over to john to get us started you know, uh,
1: over the past few months uh, there've been countless headlines about uh, the collapse of silicon valley bank and others and and even more about you know, what does the future hold and fears of similar collapses and the impact on, on companies. Um, you know, as we've done in our prior podcasts, we want to take a look at this issue specifically through the lens of directors and officers and think about what individuals in those roles should be doing or can be doing to help guide their their companies. Uh, and we couldn't think of a better person than our partner Chris Pippett to help uh, help talk through these issues. In the intro, Chris is is the head of our financial services industry practice uh, and has spent his his career uh, guiding both financial institutions and and companies uh, through these issues. So welcome, Chris. And uh, I may just off the top ask you to to take us through what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and and how does it compare with 2008, uh,
2: just to sort of set the table for us. Thanks, John. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, obviously, you know, experienced troubles earlier this year and ended up being uh, taken over by the FDIC. Uh, the, the problem that they faced at that point uh, was actually liquidity, uh, which means that they didn't have enough funds on hand to pay depositors when they came to ask for, uh, to withdraw their funds from the institution, that's a little bit different than what we had in 2008, where we had, you know, a lot of banks and financial institutions that were, were heavily involved in the mortgage industry, as well as mortgage-backed securities. So that impacted and presented more of a, a liquidity, not a liquidity problem like we have now, but an insolvency problem, because they had bad loans. So as a result of the loans going bad and the securities that they were uh, basically, uh, wrapped into going bad, the banks, you know, they didn't have enough assets. Their assets didn't meet their, uh, their liabilities exceeded their assets. So, you know, in that instance, there was an issue of could the bank continue here? It was short term. But what happened was because the word got out pretty quickly because most of these, a lot of these companies were interconnected. They had interconnected boards and other managers because Silicon Valley Bank's clientele was based in the venture uh, capital-backed startups in the tech and the healthcare industry. So once word got out, uh, it moved pretty quickly. And as a result, in one particular day, uh, depositors were able to withdraw over a third of the bank's deposits. Uh, And that's a serious problem. That's, That's a lot different than... You know, a situation where you've got a regional or community or even a large bank that's more retail based, you know, because customers, it would take a while for a number of customers to withdraw that that amount of deposits from the bank. So in this instance, uh, it happened quickly and there were a number of things that led up to it. You know, there have been articles written about, you know, the bond sales and different things that, you know, led to that shortage and led to kind of the initial panic, um, but so that that's kind of puts it in perspective as opposed to or context uh, related to what happened in 2008, which is why, you know, I, I don't have a, a, a glass globe, uh, but I don't really think that, you know, it's something that's widespread. Although a lot of institutions are struggling with liquidity issues, uh, largely the result of, you know, things that could never have been anticipated, the pandemic. Uh, spending following the end of the pandemic, and then inflation that kind of followed the spending. So it was kind of uh, a, a set of circumstances that uh, you really would have had to, you know, have that crystal ball in order to uh, figure that out. And figure that that was coming. Well, uh, Chris,
3: Chris, as a, a um, as someone who is intimately involved. Uh, with the banking industry, uh, what would be your takeaway for officers and directors on the issue or the issues of liquidity and um, other similar issues?
2: Well, the problem from the depositor side is it is very hard to measure. Uh, Because if you think about it, you know whether you're talking about 2008 or more recent problems at some of the banks that you know have had their uh, struggles, um, you've got people that are in the industry that are smart people, that are talented people, that are managing from the inside, and they're obviously having trouble. So trying to do that from the outside is equally hard uh, for a, a number of reasons. Number one you don't have access to the same information that the executive teams and boards of those institutions might have. You know, some of that is available publicly because they all file quarterly reports. But by then, you know, you're talking about dated information. So, you know, what, you know, you really can't, it's not real-time reporting, so you're not seeing what it is. And the fact of the matter is that a lot of most banks, Uh, just by their business model, don't have a lot of funds on hand because their primary source of funding is deposits. And then they take those deposits and they lend it out. So on any given day at any bank in the United States, you know, if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, all those deposits are going out the door in in loans and, you know, some in investments, but the majority in loans because that's how they increase their earnings. Uh, So watching that on a regular basis... Uh, it would be difficult. You know, things that you could do, um, you know, which we now have a little bit of the benefit of hindsight, is look at, you know, is this bank focused on a particular market or industry or geographic area? You know, could that present a problem? Uh, the other biggest problem that I think a lot of depositors at Silicon Valley Bank had was, you know, they basically you had all of their money there. I mean, there were customers that had anywhere between 10 and, you know, 10 millions of dollars and up. And when that happens, when, you know, and the bank gets taken over by the regulators and you suddenly realize that you only have access to $250,000, um, that can be a problem, especially if you've got a $750,000 payroll to make the following week, which, you know, a lot of depositors were faced with that issue which I think is why the Fed stepped in to, to ease everybody's concerns in that regard.
1: So Chris, you brought up the, the issue of, of the sort of diversifying funds to avoid something. So, you know, as we said, we're, we're always thinking about this sort of, as difficult as it is for the board, you know, directors and officers to try to to find a way. So I think diversifying was a thing a lot of people thought about in the aftermath of this. Um, you know, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, you mentioned looking at perhaps the industries or the geographies of banks. How how do you how would you set out to to think about where you should diversify if you realize that you have a lot of uh, deposits on at one one institution?
2: Yes, well, I think the one thing that boards should be asking their executive teams, you know, is is the first the obvious question, where where do we keep our money, and how much is there? You know, and, you know, and that's kind of what, that's the analysis that unfortunately too late a lot of clients or a lot of businesses were going through when Silicon Valley failed. Uh, so if if you're a, a board member, you should be asking your executive team, where is our money and does it make sense to diversify? It? And of course, the next question is how do you do that? Because, you know, depending on the size of your business and the sophistication or, you know, resources that you have in terms of a finance team, you know, having funds in 30 different banks can be a management challenge because, you know, when you've got to make payroll or acquisitions or whatever, you don't want to be cobbling together funds in order to do that. Now there have been for some time and now they're, you know, getting a lot more attention, uh, you know, networks that will do that for you. And that's something that I think a lot of boards ought to be asking where, you know, uh, the organization that they're, you know, charged with managing, you know, has a lot, you know, has a significant amount of funds in any particular institution. And, you know, it's what, you know, probably the one that is most popular or the one that everybody would know if they've looked at agreements in recent times or in the past is what's called the Intrify Network. And what that does is that'll take, if you've got $20 million on deposit at your institution and they offer that as a service, uh, it'll sweep the money out, you know, and spread it across however many institutions it takes in order to maintain FDIC insurance. And then as you need it, you'll sweep it back. It'll sweep it back. And there are some large uh, New York banks that, you know, have the uh, resources in order to make that happen. You know, it operates much like a sweep account would. So that way, on any given day, you know, you've diversified your deposits to a number of banks. And if the bank that you're dealing with, um, you know, has a problem, then you'll still be able to get at those funds because the way that it works is they're maintained in custodial accounts, uh, which are protected individually by uh, FDIC insurance. So that's probably the, the, the what's becoming the most popular and the easiest to manage, uh, in terms of options for doing that.
1: Great. Well, let's say, you know, maybe shorter, if, if you, as you referenced, um, maybe your accounts aren't so big or, or, you know, moving around may have practical issues. If, if you're sitting looking at, at bank options, or maybe, you know, it's just a handful, you might think about diversifying, you know, just to cost a couple things.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You mentioned the challenges of, of lags in information and incomplete information. How, how do you, Feel comfortable again at that board level that you've you've done the due diligence that 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 you're hoping to do.
2: Well, I think primarily, especially depending on the level of funds that we're talking about, you know, it does not hurt to ask uh, your institution, hey, you know, what's going on, you know, and you can reference what's been happening in in the financial in the financial institution industry and say, you know. Why, why, why are you any safer than they were? And explain that to us and get some answers. And of course, the key I always tell boards, you know, document that you did it because if you don't document it, uh, it didn't happen. Uh, so you know, when boards and executive teams are going through their due diligence and kind of parsing through what makes the most sense for our organization, because it's definitely not one size fit fits all, um, making sure that you've documented what you've done that you've asked questions at the bank uh, in terms of, you know, the bank's health, you know, what is its market focus, you know, is it limited to one particular area, which, you know, and that, that's important because if it's limited to a particular area and that area suffers a financial setback that's, you know, unique to other areas, you know, that could impact the bank itself. Um, so you, you wanna look at that because overall a lot of banks you know most banks look at their concentration risk they're required to so you know you have to look at concentration in terms of industries geography and those types of things to make sure that is there one thing that could impact them now sometimes that concentration is unavoidable you know if it's a small bank in a particular area you know they can't go out and open branches all over the country because they don't have the resources but that's also a reason to think about okay maybe we use this bank because it's you know there are and there are advantages it's not just big bank versus little bank there are advantages to using small local banks because quite often you might get more in terms of attention uh knowledge of you know what's going on in that particular area and you know other benefits Uh, but maybe the answer is we don't put all our money there Um, and we look at diversifying uh Another thing that, you know, I think as directors and executive teams need to be aware of is, you know, one of the reasons that a lot of these companies had so much money at Silicon Valley Bank is that quite frequently loan facilities require that. You know, I've been, you know, doing commercial lending and workouts for the better part of 35 years, and I know the documents that I draft and documents that I've reviewed generally have that requirement that, you know, the let the borrower maintain its primary banking relationship with the lender. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that borrowers need to start asking you know, A, what does that mean? Uh, because I want to make sure that, you know, if I only need $10 million on hand for operations or even $2 million on hand for operations, then I shouldn't have to put $20 million at that institution if I want to diversify. It. So those are some things that you can look at in terms of. How to best protect yourself.
1: That's that's fantastic, um, and I guess that sort of goes hand in hand too with with understanding your internally your company's needs and and perhaps having to push back against bank requirements or, or desires. Um, give me thoughts on sort of how boards can, or maybe some of the issues boards should be looking at when they're looking at risk management, when they're trying to figure out liquidity needs. Are there are there best practices in, in that area that come to mind?
3: And, Chris, if I could tag on to that question, um, is there anything specific that board members should request from the officers uh, to circulate to the board in that analysis? So, in other words, what documents would the board need in order to uh, fulfill their analysis uh, with respect to that, that particular point?
2: Well, I, that's a good question because I think, you know, every boards need to know a how much cash do we generally have available at any given time? For some businesses that may be a minimal amount, for others it may be a large amount. The next is, you know, okay, how much do we need on hand? You know, what's our burn rate, you know, in any given, you know, month or quarter or whatever it is because you also don't want to be in a position like I said before where you're trying to cobble together money to either do transactions, make payroll, that sort of thing. You know, this came up a lot in uh, uh, when we were doing uh, the payroll protection loans because there were companies that, you know, had significant amounts of cash on hand and, you know, it seemed like they wouldn't qualify, but, you know, if you've got $10 million on hand and you've got a $1 million burn rate a month, you know, that can go pretty quickly. Uh, so those are the questions that you ought to be asking uh um, you know, I'd start on the front end. I call those front end questions. You know, what's our burn rate? How much cash do we need on hand? How much cash do we generally have on deposit at any given time? And, you know, then the back end would be, okay, where is it? What kind of institution is it? You know, how diverse is, you know, their you know customer base as well as, you know, how they do their lending. And like I said, a lot of institutions especially focus on lending because, You know, they want to make sure they're not in anyone's sector, whether it's real estate or retail or anything like that. And those are questions, you know, that if you're making significant deposits at an institution, uh, you shouldn't hesitate to ask um, and get that information from the institution. And that information should in turn be, like I said before, conveyed to the board. You know, when they have those discussions, uh, it ought to be part of a board packet and retained as that so that, you know, in the aftermath, Somebody saying, you know, hey, you know, all our funds went down with that bank. What were you doing? You know, you've got the documentation that shows you did the due diligence. You looked at the information and you made the best decision that you could. You know, and if you do that, uh, you're going to be protected generally by the business judgment rule because you've taken the right steps in order to protect. You know, you, you can't protect against everything. Like I said, I don't I think there were a lot of people at Silicon Valley Bank that didn't see that coming. Um, you know, and it wasn't like it was the Wild West and they didn't care. I just think they probably didn't see it coming. It had been hindsight, made some bad decisions um, that, you know, cost them. Uh, so I think directors just need to ask those questions and, and get the information. And then the executive team, you know, whether it's your CFO or whoever, needs to ask those questions at the bank. Hey, we're, we're gonna deposit significant funds with your institution you know, tell us how you're different and how we would be protected.
3: And one of the things that you've talked about in this response is mitigating the risk by really transparency of the board. So um, I assume that it's your position that there should be complete transparency between the officers, such as the CFO, and the board. And all of this information that the CFO is obtaining or should obtain uh, should be disseminated to the board um, for its review and assessment, even if it's just approving whatever the actions are of the CFO or requesting additional information uh, with respect to its deposits and business operating funds or the like, is that right, Chris?
2: That's, yeah, that's correct. I think, you know, I think it's pretty well established. In fact, there was some recent case law out of the Delaware Chancery Court that reiterated the concept and the rule that, you know, boards are entitled to whatever information they need in order to do the job that they have to do. And, you know, this is obviously an important uh, question that boards are asking now because, you know, had it had it not worked out the way it did there would have been there would have been some chaos and you know people would have been pointing at boards and executive teams saying you know how come we didn't make payroll how come we weren't able to close that transaction you know how come we weren't able to pay taxes because if you think about it that was about the time right in that time frame uh, you know so things like that could have been disastrous and those questions are still being asked I mean it, the one area that the Fed wasn't able to accommodate uh, was with respect to, you know, for instance, Silicon Valley had a branch in the Cayman Islands. Um, Those depositors weren't protected. And there were some Hong Kong VC firms uh, that still haven't, you know, they're being treated as creditors of the institution and they're not first in line. Uh, So, you know, those are important questions. And I'll I'll raise that as another one. If, If you're, organization is depositing funds outside of the United States, you may want to verify how that's protected and, you know, why, you know, whether or not um, there are other ways that you could do that because, you know, there were obviously some reasons for people for uh, organizations to deposit their funds at SVB and and the Caymans, uh, but it has not worked out well for them. And you want to make sure that, you know, and this is kind of the other side of it, If there's a very good reason to put those funds at that kind of risk, that information should go to the board and that should be documented that they got it. And that was the decision that they made.
3: For instance, maybe um, a far more favorable loan arrangement or something like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or in the instance of, you know, depositing funds in an offshore uh, branch that there was some very good business reason for why that had to happen that way. Um, and that would, you know, at least document that it wasn't just, yeah, just put it there and, you know, and then all of a sudden they find out that it's not covered by FDIC insurance.
1: Chris, I thank you so much. We, uh, you know, we probably could talk about this all day. I know, I know you could, Um but we, we really thank you for the time and, not because there's another run on banks, but we'll find another reason to have you back. No, I
2: appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. Thanks so much. Yeah,
3: Chris, Chris thanks so much. It's always nice to have someone um, who really knows what they're talking about uh, <laughs> when we do these podcasts. So thank you again.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you, John, Stephanie, and Chris, for sharing your insights with Plus, And thank you for listening to this PLUS podcast. If you have ideas for a future of PLUS podcast, you can share those by completing the PLUS content idea form on our website.